Hey, Kevin. Hey, Jordan. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. Well, everything going well for you guys in Florida? Yeah. Uh, we just, my parents come down uh, to Florida every year because they live in Des Moines, Iowa, and it's cold. They do the snowbird thing. So we come down for a week and hang out with them, let the kids swim, hang out at the beach. So we've just been relaxing after releasing the record uh, this past Friday. Jess is here as well. Hey, Kevin. How are you? Hey, Jess. Good, Jess. How are you? Doing well. Good to talk to you. Yeah, you guys too. Well, hey, it's been way too long. Um, I was obviously going back. You could probably tell from the way I wrote my review, um, listening to Jess's two solo records from practically a decade ago now, which is crazy. (laughs) Um, And, and yeah, I obviously enjoy uh, what you've done here, um, you know, on a couple levels to to start before we dig into, like, my usual behind-the-song format, which obviously we could have one of these conversations about a variety of different songs for sure. Um, But is I affectionately call, you know, what you did before and – I was thrilled to see uh, Dave Trout and UTR Media also highlighted your record because the best word to describe the record is gourmet. And what I love about that word gourmet is there really isn't a dictionary definition of it. It gives just like examples, you know, like regular coffee, only better uh, kind of a thing. And, And what that means in a nutshell is it's authentic, it's real, it clearly sounds, uh, you could use a word like organic, obviously, but really what it means is it, it just sounds like it's from your guys' hearts, um, which I would say everything I've heard from you comes from your heart. That's kind of self-evident in my opinion. Um, and it's not cliched, and that's important to me too. Um, yeah. But this record in particular is particularly biblical. And, and as a starting point, um, that's my own testimony, uh, is I've, I write these behind-the-song devotionals because I was led to a saving faith in the Lord by hearing biblical messages in gourmet songs. So in particular, yeah. it was the first Jars of, Jars of Clay record, um, which then grabbed me and made me want to dig deeper into the, the truth uh, behind that song, which you know 20 years ago led to my salvation and now um, going on, 13 years now, I guess, I've been writing for the website. Uh, uh, yeah. 2007, I started. Uh, and now I've written 1,008 behind the song devotions, wow. just so you guys know. Um, and, and Jess has been part of, I think, what, five or so, give or take. We, we definitely had numerous song discussions. So, yeah, so I cannot run out, outrun your grace um, uh, for a couple different reasons is the one I wanted to start with. I know you're kind of promoting it um, uh, and yeah. it's the first track on the record, but I also made a point in my review of listen to the album in track order. Um, you know, it's like a bookend. It starts with grace, ends with grace. Um, yes. And then, you know, as I said in my review, awe and wonder of Jesus, uh, in essence, is to me like a, a through line uh, that I hear. And, yeah, I, I'd love to, with those comments as a stepping off point, kind of hear from your guys' perspective you know, the songwriting story, personal message, and also intentionality of it being the first track and on some levels the song you're promoting uh, for one of my behind-the-song devotionals. So uh, whichever one of you wants to talk, take turns, uh, tell me the songwriting story. I'd love to hear it. Yeah, so it's funny because uh, 
you know, when Jess's last record came out in 2014, yeah. um, oh. we thought we'd just keep on going and whatnot, but we took obviously a good break. Uh, I was working at a local church, and um, I think through that time we just we started to love leading congregations, but also the idea of writing for the local church became a pretty big target for us. And, um, and so, you know, through the years I had always kind of dabbled in that, but then um, I was just going through a really dark season. Uh, I felt like my faith was being tested. A lot of identity issues in me were coming up. And so for me, the song was born out of that. It was like, <laughs> David is clearly listing off all these questions, you know, like, Hey, what if I go here? What if I do this? Are you still with me? Yeah, you're still with me in all these different scenarios. And I think for me, when something difficult happens in my life, the one thing that I want to do is run away and check out and uh, try to avoid any pain or discomfort. Um, And I realized reading that psalm, um, much like David comes to the conclusion, he's basically saying, who am I kidding? where, Where in the world could I ever go to escape you? You're always with me. And I think I just found so much comfort in that, that even though I could try to run away, uh, it's, not, it's not possible. And so, you know, that song was interesting for me because I just started kind of messing with the idea of uh, the verse came first for me and just asking those questions, where can I hide from you? Where can I go from you? You're always with me. And it slowly, like, just uh, emerged. Um, and I don't know if you saw it, but we – posted a video of the kids singing the song, which was kind of, I don't know, it was just a surprising moment for me because I had been working on the song first on acoustic guitar. And uh, for me, that's usually the way I start writing, um, just more rhythmic in nature. And then I, I typically take a break from that and go to piano so I can kind of pound out some melody ideas. And so I'd, I'd done that in our living room at home, just kind of singing it, messing with it, and then the kids all of a sudden just start singing with me one day. Um, And it was just a really special moment because it took on this, I don't know, it took on this really simple personality because these kids are, you know, they haven't gone through much difficulty in their life, but they believe these things that they're facing these battles of like, oh, I go to bed at night and I'm scared of the dark or, you know, I saw a movie and something in the movie scared me. And so we're able to just kind of say, like, wait a minute, like, this psalm is not just for me as an adult facing difficulty. It's for my kids as they face their own battles. And so uh, we did a short little um, recording of them singing it. And I think it's a, for us as a family, it's a special song uh, because it feels like it's, it's an integral part of, of our family. And um, as far as it being first on the record, uh, it just felt like a, a good opening song and you know energetic and um you mentioned that the record starts with grace and ends with grace and i told jessa the other day i wish that i was smart enough to tell you right now i did that intentionally (laughs) um but but i think the i think the lord knew for sure and gosh yeah yeah um he's been kind in that to say like it's all it's always been grace from the beginning to the end and it always will be and um so that's like a thing we didn't plan but looking back on it now it's Cool to see the Lord work through that. No, that's awesome. And um, thank you, uh, Jordan. I, I think a number of us struggle uh, with exactly the 
um, emotion you described, um, and I often equate David um, as being kind of the first emo character we meet in the Bible. Um, right. And I think, and I think Psalm 139 very well encapsulates, you know, sort of like the the healthy response to to an emo feeling. You know, because there's an unhealthy way to do it or an unbiblical way to do it, which is to uh, allow the enemy to creep in and take your thoughts captive. Um, and I think, you know, I could definitely use a song like this to talk about the verse that talks about having the, the Lord take your thoughts captive. Um, I think that's in Second Corinthians. I'll look, I'll look it up. Uh, but, but regarding, you know, we can't outrun his grace. I think that's such an important biblical truth. Because then when you anchor your thought life in that and you realize there's nowhere I can go that I'm fleeing his presence, um, and in particular, you know, verses 17 and 18 from Psalm 139, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God, how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. So, right, you guys are at the beach, right? So you look at the sand. And you're like, you're like, whoa, that's a lot of sand. Um, and, uh, and so, um, you know, I'm that precious to God. And once you sort of say, hey, whatever I'm going through, he's there with me no matter what. And, and I matter to him that much. Uh, it helps you in a more healthy way process those emotions, which is, I think, what right. the song does. Because I think it shifts, it shifts to a reflective tone to a joyful tone, just like the Psalms do. The Psalms are both reflective and joyful. And, um, you know, Psalm 139, verse 14, two verses before that, that, or three verses before that section, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So, Jessa, that part made me think of how many songs you've written that are about identity. and as you well know, I have three girls. Um, and so songs about identity, you know, and I love, Jordan, that you brought up the kids um, as well. You know, because there's really two main things we can do with their parents. You know, the one is the obvious one that most people know. Try to provide for them, provide, you know, pr- protect them, et cetera. Um, but the biggest one is teach them about truth uh, and have their um, – have their identity uh, as a child of God and their principles be based on something solid. And so really this whole record I think does that. But yeah, I don't know, Jess, if you had some thoughts relative to the identity statement that's also in this song, because I know that's been a topic of some of our prior conversations. I think that with I Cannot Run Your Grace, it really speaks to God's faithfulness to us. And so often we've seen, not just in our own lives, but in those around us, that um, it's easy to equate suffering or trial with a lack of God's faithfulness. So where is he, right? Why am I going through this? Is he, is he not showing up? Does he not love me? Am I being punished? Those are all responses that we tend to have when we don't have a scriptural identity taken root in our hearts. And so especially with our kids, but because we've walked through these things as adults saying, who am I and who is God? And so we try to get God's identity first based on scripture and then go at it from, okay, well, who does God say that I am? And I think that especially as a parent, 
we want our kids to have a healthy foundation of knowing who they are in Christ. And so if they are in Christ, then God is always faithful to them. Um, There's no question about who they are. God is not going to walk away um, or leave them. Their identity doesn't change based on what they're experiencing. And that's really hard to believe. So our heart in our home has been for ourselves and for our kids to just really try to pound that truth down deep into our hearts so that when we suffer, when we encounter difficult things in life, um, or the opposite, when things are going well, we're never taking credit for the good things um, because we know that they're God's grace as well, but we're also not um, jumping ship just because we're enduring something difficult. And so I think um, we see different ways in scripture those things portrayed. I've been listening through Job, actually, and so that's more of like a a story from the outside, we get to take a peek at all the wrestling Job is going through and all the things his friends and his wife are saying. But then the Psalms are so personal. And so we really gravitated toward the Psalms in our dark season because it expressed the cry of our hearts. But like you said, it's in a really healthy way. And David sets a great example of being honest and acknowledging the things that he's going through, acknowledging the pain that he's feeling, acknowledging the questions that he's asking, but he always brings it back around to God and his faithfulness. And because of that, David says, well, I'm, I'm going to praise you because I know that you're faithful. I know that you love me. I know you haven't abandoned me. Um, and I think that God's faithfulness and our identity in Christ kind of go hand in hand, and that's something we've really been learning for ourselves, but hopefully putting in for our kids so that as they grow and as they become adults and make their own choices and endure their own trials, that foundation of scripture will be there for them. I was just going to jump yeah, into it, Kevin. Yeah, um, go ahead, please. Well, just as David's wrestling through it, I think it's really important for Christians to know that that's a normal, that's a normal thing. And, you know, you mentioned that your conversion was later on in life, but for those that grew up in the church, um, and again, this is a broad stroke here, but I think sometimes Christianity is presented as, you know, things are going to be okay. Um, and life, like circumstantially things are going to be okay. And, um, so when things aren't okay, um, we're kind of left like floating in the middle of the ocean. Like what is happening? What, what am I supposed to grab onto? And it's clear, uh, in this particular Psalm, but again, holistically throughout the Psalms that David is. He's wrestling all the time. And uh, there's this term called just preaching the gospel to yourself. But I think that's what he's doing. He's asking the questions, and then he's reminding himself in the psalm, no, these things are not true. And it's clear, too, throughout his writing that, and I think as an Americans we wrestle with this, that when our feelings are opposed to what's true, we really wrestle with that. Um. And I think as we become more mature Christians, we say, I am feeling these things, and yet I, I just have to hold on to the truth, even though the feelings aren't there. And maybe the best analogy is like our marriages, that we've made a covenant because we know the feelings aren't always going to be there. That's the point. You stay committed and you keep integrity through it because you know that there's going to be ups and downs in your life, and you can't live based on uh, off the way you feel. And so I think that was... That's part of it, too, uh, in the psalm and also just personally of saying when you get to that latter part of the psalm and it, it feels like almost this, uh, almost the chorus, the heart of the psalm, that David's reminding himself, no, I'm loved by God. 
I'm precious to him. And we, we mentioned this in the devotional that we wrote about the song, um, that as he's wrestling through these things, what's crazy about it is that he doesn't have, he doesn't even have a framework for the cross yet. So David is only trusting God based on his promises alone. Um, mm-hmm. Now we're on the other side, and we have this amazing, um, amazing image of Jesus Christ who, who was abandoned, who was forsaken, so that you and I would never be abandoned and never be forsaken. So Jesus Christ did taste everything that David was talking about so that you and I would never taste it. And I think that, like, just opened up this gate in my mind of, like, oh, my gosh, like, let's not minimize any suffering. Let's not minimize the darkness. But there's only one person in the history of the world who's ever gone all the way to the bottom, who's, ever, who's completely been forsaken, abandoned, without God, and that's Jesus Christ. And so, um, again, <laughs> I'm getting in the weeds a lot on this, but Christ, Christ knows suffering in ways that I don't know. Um, and, again, I'm not going to say this to someone who's in the middle of it, because uh, that's not helpful. But there is a comfort knowing, like, we have a Savior who was not standing on the sideline. We have a Savior who came and suffered himself and who understands my suffering because of that. And I think that there's a lot of, just a lot of comfort in that. Yeah, no doubt. And um, as you might imagine, in 1008 um, editions uh, of these Behind the Song devotionals, I've written about not just that psalm, you know, but all the psalms quite a bit. Um, and I, I read you a New King James translation of those very familiar passages, but I'm going to read you the voice translation of verse 5, because I think this is the life application in a, in a lot of ways um, from one, Psalm 139. And it says, You have surrounded me on every side, behind me and before me, and you have placed your hand gently on my shoulder. And uh, to me, that picture of the gentleness of God's grace, right? You know, we know the, there's the awesomeness of it. There's the miraculousness of it. There's the sacrificial side of it. But there's also like this, you know, we have this suffering servant we worship, as you said, because we can picture the other side of the cross and we know he's acquainted with our grief. He's a man of sorrows right. and a, acquainted right. with our grief. And then that actually now helps you understand what David being called a man after God's own heart actually means. Um, because it just means he also um, had deep feelings is basically what that means in my mind. Yeah. You know, a deeply feeling person um, still has a soft conscience that can be um, impacted by the grace of the Lord. Um, And my pastor uses this acronym um, that grace could stand for God's riches at Christ's expense. And uh, I think think your song um, couldn't better represent that what you can't outrun, I I cannot outrun. um, It's a mouthful. (laughs) Yes. Right. So, but if you were to say that, right, I cannot outrun God's riches at Christ's expense. Like you could literally just write that out as a sentence. And that in essence could be the thesis statement for the song. And in a lot of ways, theologically anchors down the rest of the record, you know, so one about the gentleness of his grace, you know, two 
um, as you already went there, Jordan, which I, I, I'm glad you did, um, what we know on the other side of the cross um, about that. And then three, which is the only thing I think we haven't really touched on, which I think would be a good closing point for today's discussion, is how that messaging flows its way through the rest of Glorious uh, on some level to kind of point people to, you know, some type of through line that sort of led to the rest of these tracks. I want to say, too, before we go there, I think the other really encouraging thought for believers, if we're looking at David specifically, is um, it's not just his circumstantial suffering. It's also that he made some really bad choices in his life. And I think that when we talk about not being able to outrun God's grace, we could easily say we can't outsin God's grace. And so for believers who may not be suffering but may be wrestling with some really poor decisions and sin issues and things that have taken root that they're having a hard time getting away from, it's the same grace for that. So there's nowhere we can go. There's there's no sin that we can commit that will remove us from God's gentle hand on our shoulder and and there's never too much we're never too much for god uh, because of jesus christ and so um just as we were talking that really kind of popped into my head like gosh people may not be suffering um in terms of you know outside circumstances but they may really be suffering through sin issues or they may be wrestling with um being a sinful person and like you said that message in the music sometimes um, it just sparks a thought. Maybe they're not they're not there yet, but just for people to know as they listen um, that it, it applies both ways. And David is such a great example of that scripturally. He made terrible decisions that did come with consequences, but um, he was still able to say, "There's nowhere I can go. I can't get away from you." And I love the example that we have to look at there. Um, yeah, no yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Jessica. I think on the theme. Uh, the bridge of glorious says, when we see you as you are the suffering servant scars. That's really obviously mm-hmm. going back to Isaiah um, and his suffering servant song. Um, that whole idea that we talked about is just, we have a savior who came and suffered. Um, therefore he's with us in the midst of our own suffering, um, which was, you know, again, feelings outside of this conversation, the truth of the matter is that that is, that is truth, and I just have to cling to that no matter what I feel. But then later on in the record, um, Your Love is Better is David's psalm, and Psalm 63, I want to say, but it's, you know, it's known as his desert psalm, where he's actually in the desert, but then it seems to me that his soul is actually in the desert as well. And he says, in a dry and weary land where there is no water, my soul thirsts for you. And he knows the only thing for him, and I think this is, this is getting to the identity piece as well, that all of us are looking for some ultimate identity, some ultimate verdict for our life, some validation, some acceptance, some approval that says it's enough. You matter. And I think the only place that you find that is in Christianity where you are loved and accepted, not because of your performance, but because of the performance of somebody else. So remember we used to talk about this at our church, like you can't mess that up. You're like, well, yeah, but God loves me because I did this. No, he doesn't. He loves you because of what Christ did, which then rolls right into track nine, which is loved as Jesus, which was this, this may be another conversation, but was a pivotal moment for us to say, in John 17, I think it's verse 21 or 23, Jesus is praying for those who would come to know him 
through to the, the disciples' work, and he says, and have loved them as you have loved me. And it's so, such a radical truth that I remember talking to several pastors like, hey, am I, is it okay to say this? Like, we are loved just as much as Jesus Christ? And every one of them was like, yes, that's exactly what it means. It's one of the most radical truths in all of Scripture. Um, and Packer, in his book, Knowing God, talked about this idea that because God is love, in First John, he says that, in his essence, he's love. There are no degrees of love within the family of God. So the same love that the Father has for Jesus Christ is the same love that he has for us. And I think, Kevin, that as you read scriptures, specifically Paul says, gosh, I want to say it's 2 Corinthians 4 or 5, somewhere there, but he says the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ owns us. Uh, I think it's John that says perfect love casts out fear. So what all these guys are saying is that they've been after this ultimate verdict for their life, and it can only be found in Jesus Christ in his love, in his acceptance, because it's ultimately an identity that isn't tied to them. That's not the sum of them, the things they've done or not done. It's all rooted in the work of Christ, which I think is why Paul is, one of his favorite phrases is saying, I'm, I'm found in Christ. Um, it's this, like, identity shift that I'm crucified with Christ. I don't live anymore. He's the one that lives through me. Colossians 3, he says, Christ is our life. Um, our life is hidden with Christ in God. So it's clear to me that Paul, um, and again, this is a, I know this, I'm getting in the weeds here, but uh, in Philippians 3, when he talks about his, his old identity structure, you know, he lit, I call it his resume of goodness. He lists off all the good things that he's ever done in his life, and he says, you know, that was something. Um, I had, was advancing faster than anybody else, but compared to being found in Christ and knowing him, it's, it's rubbish. It's of no value compared to the work of of Christ, And so I think in our Christian life, it's the older that I get and the more the Lord graciously matures me in Christ, it's me more and more every day saying, like, Christ is my righteousness. I used to hang my hat on all these things I used to do, but Christ is now my source, my life. And, you know, as a worship leader, we've sung all those songs. And experientially, there's a weight to them now that I didn't have before because the Lord kind of tears down these old identity structures, you come to the end and you're able to say, no, all I, all I truly do have is Christ and his merits and his, um, his performance. So I think that that's a theme across the record is saying, um, if I could boil it down, I would say that the means of you and I as Christians becoming more like Jesus Christ is our suffering. Um, but in that suffering is the loss of ourself. It's the loss of identity, which is why it's so painful. Because the Lord is stripping all these things away that we thought we needed, um, that we thought, if we didn't have this thing, then who am I? So he, he brings us to the bottom of ourselves um, to say, no, the only thing that you really have is Jesus Christ. And I felt like so many times the Lord was just jackhammering my, my old supposed foundations and crumbling them to the ground, you know, and all these idols I had on the bookshelf, just knocking the whole bookshelf over to say the only thing that's really going to bring you joy and peace and life is Christ. And there's no way around this, you know, like we can have these theological conversations about this all day long and have the right answers. Uh, but the Lord and his kindness has to take us, I think, through the fires to refine us and bring us to the place of dependence on him and I could probably talk another hour about this because I'm. <laughs> so maybe at some point we need to cut it and say, "Hey, let's save this for another." Well, I would say song. too, like 
all of that, all of the suffering piece is wrapped up in that love and faithfulness piece. Like Jordan said, loved as Jesus was a really pivotal moment for us in the writing of the record. Um, That was one that we were, Jordan had started and brought me in on. And so we collaborated on that one together. And so it really moved us together as we were writing it. And I just remember being like, okay, we've established this is true, but like, what, what would that look like if I really believe that? How would I live? What would be different for me if I walked through my days as a mom and a wife and a musician um, and, you know, just all the different pieces? Like, what would that look like if I really felt confidently loved the way that Christ is loved? And um, I think there's kind of a two, two hands to that where Jordan already addressed that post-cross security of knowing that if you're in Christ, God sees you the way he sees Christ. But then there's also the bridge of love just Jesus, which is based on 1 John 4.10, which says this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So there was a love component there before we were even in Christ. God was so moved to send Christ because he loved us as his creation. And so I hope that when people are listening, wherever they're at on the spectrum of being a believer, whether they're curious, whether they're um, already in Christ, that they will know that they're loved by God. And that does play out differently depending on our status as believers, because obviously the Bible is clear that accepting Christ and turning everything over to him um, makes a difference in our future and it connects us to God and it washes away the record of wrongs that we have, but God loved us while we were yet sinners. And Ephesians is so clear that while we were dead in our sins, God loved us and sent Jesus. So there's a love that transcends um, every, every moment, every status that we hold on our journey. Um, and that I think gives us a security to walk through suffering confidently and endure the things that God wants to endure, whether that's, or God wants us to endure, whether that's circumstantial or whether that's kind of Jesus showing up and turning some tables in our, in our spiritual identity. Awesome. Well, um, so yes, Jordan, what you said a little bit ago, um, agreed. We can continue the conversation. Um, and I'm yeah. glad you brought up Philippians three. I was actually going to bring up, bring up Philippians three. So, um, obviously we're, we're, I'm hearing you, I'm hearing your heart uh, in these songs, and I'm glad you brought up Love Does Jesus, because you'll notice in my review, I only highlighted a few song titles, and that happened to be one of them. Um, yeah. Another one was All That Is Needed, and another one was Glorious Naturally. So, so yeah, I, I you know, because obviously people don't have attention spans like they used to, so I, I'm writing less in the review, but I write a lot more in these devotionals, which allows me to do that deeper dive uh, into individual tracks. So, yeah, after I get this one posted, um, obviously we, we'll stay in touch, and we can uh, circle back and do another one of these um, about whichever song I feel the Lord's asking me to write about, um, which your, your album will be in rotation all year, as you might imagine. Um, and I will, of course, let you know when this posts, because um, I, I have a little bit of a backlog, but um, it will be within the next, you know, um, six weeks or so. So I'll let you know officially when it posts. But, uh, but yeah, guys, thank you as always. Always a pleasure to chat. Um, and again, as I started our conversation with, um, I hear an intentionality in the music. You know, it's, it's 
equaled by the intentionality in our conversation. So um, that's refreshing because that's not always the case uh, in doing what I do. Um, and I can tell you um, that is actually partly um, where that word gourmet comes from. Uh, is it's just um, broken people who understand the need for the Lord's grace. And um, thank you for being fellow, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, using your gifts for his glory. We're grateful for you and your friendship over the years. And, hey, I was going to mention, too, if you just want to shoot me your address, I'd love to send you the devotional just for you to look at and check out. We're like, sure. we're still kind of floored that it came together because it was a <laughs> dream. Like, hey, we obviously got a lot to say about this record. Yeah. Uh, but I'd love to send yeah. you a have you check it out for sure yeah um and then yeah it would be actually good timing because of course as i dig in i can maybe kind of supplement what you all, you've already written naturally so yep. um yeah it's um actually jordan if you even just look at the emails we've exchanged my address is in that great okay so it's it's right it's right there so um okay. no always a pleasure guys um and if you need it again just let me know um i'll shoot it again okay. but i think you should you should see it there um in even the email with um, your review link. Uh, okay. So, so awesome guys. I uh, saw the person I'm meeting uh, walk up to the restaurant, so I'm I'm going yes. to um, sign off for now. But um, until we talk again, uh, let's obviously have it be less than a five-year uh, span of <laughs> <Yes>. time. Um, <laughs> uh, all the best to both of you, and God bless. Thanks, Kevin. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. All right, thank you. All right, bye-bye.